traditional story for the second Sunday of Easter. And while some are used to hearing it as a story about the disciples and especially about Thomas, I've come to think of it more as being about Jesus and about what he will do for us when we are doubting or fearful or when we have lost confidence or when we've been isolated from loved ones and are feeling adrift in the world. The lesson tells of two visits that Jesus made to his frightened disciples who had hidden themselves away after his horrific death. I invite you to try to be open to fresh insights as you hear this familiar story from John chapter 20. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then in today's final two verses, John states the purpose of his gospel as he writes, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On the evening of the day of resurrection, John writes that the disciples, ten of them anyway, were hiding from sight. After Jesus was killed, they had feared that they would be next. So they found a place to stay where they hoped they would be safe. I don't know about you, but I can relate to a sense of helplessness and frustration of isolation, especially after this year that we've all been through, this year of pandemic. I imagine you felt it too. 
Now, the cause of our recent isolation is different than the cause of theirs, of course, but the resulting feelings and motivations are similar. For like the disciples, we have stayed away from others to try to avoid something that could kill us. But as the disciples hid, something unexpected happened, as you just heard. The resurrected Jesus entered their hiding place, and I imagine they looked at him strangely, perhaps as if they were seeing a ghost. Magdalene hadn't been making it up. She had seen the Lord, and now they were seeing him too. Could this really be true? In those ensuing moments, as if to say, yes, it really is me, Jesus greeted them again as he often had before, saying, peace be with you. And then he told them why he was there. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he gave them power for what lay ahead as he did something new, something that no other gospel reports. We have to wait till we get to the book of Acts for this. In John, though, Jesus bestowed on the disciples the Holy Spirit. It's John's Pentecost story, really. Now, we don't know what else may have happened that night. Did Jesus stick around, or was that the extent of his visit? I don't know that it matters, actually, because we have heard enough to know that by his presence and by his words, Jesus entered their hearts and engaged their minds, gave them cause for joy, and then sent them out to continue his ministry. But there is more to the story, as the gospel writer John tells us. Thomas, you remember, missed seeing Jesus the first time he came to the disciples in their hiding place. And when he was told later about the incident, he didn't believe it. He wasn't going to let the disciples put something over on him. They said they'd had visual proof that Jesus was alive. And Thomas said he would need that too and more. You remember the famous line, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. You see, Thomas required proof that would satisfy not only his sense of sight, but his sense of touch as well. So a week later, Jesus came to Thomas where he was, which happened to be with the other disciples. And Jesus didn't rebuke him or shame him for his unbelief. Instead, he willingly gave Thomas what he needed for faith. He showed him his scarred hands, and he offered Thomas the chance to touch his wounds. But apparently seeing was enough, for Thomas reacted with joy and an affirmation, My Lord and my God! My Lord and my God, that scene nearly takes my breath away every time I think of it. Now, I've preached on this passage a number of times, and every time I find something new in it. In previous sermons, I've focused on some such topics as how the risen Jesus helps us to overcome our fears, how Jesus comes to us when we least expect it, 
and how we're called to finish Jesus' work, whether it's large or small, from making phone calls to check in on others, as many of our congregation have done during this pandemic year, to writing letters to advocate for justice, to going on mission trips, to teaching Sunday school classes, and so much more. But this year, I found myself being drawn to Jesus' scars and why it was so important for Thomas and for the other disciples to see those scars. So I was especially intrigued by an opinion piece that appeared in the New York Times earlier this week. Perhaps some of you saw it as well. It had the headline, Why is Jesus still wounded after his resurrection? Don't the prints of the nails and gash of the spear reveal weakness and vulnerability? asks the Christian author Peter Wehner, who's a frequent contributor to the Times. Wouldn't it be better to remove rather than memorialize the visible signs of an agonizing death? As Wehner pondered these questions, he sought opinions from some very well-respected professors and pastors and authors. Andy Crouch, the former executive editor of Christianity Today, said this, and it's a little bit dense, so listen carefully. He said, if a scar is a healed, healed wound, a wound that the body has marvelously managed to rescue and restore, then in some way, Christ's entire bodily form, having suffered the ultimate injury of death, but having been rescued and restored, is that of a scar. His entire bodily form is that of a scar. He will be worshipped, the book of Revelation says, in the form of a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So perhaps our scars, which are so often a source of shame and regret, are the truest clues that we have to the full form of our resurrection bodies. Now that's a thought-provoking answer. It takes some time to unpack all that. Another somewhat more straightforward answer was given by Mark Laberton, who's the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, and he answered Wainer by saying, the scars witness to God's suffering resurrected hope. The fact that the traces of Jesus' wounds aren't simply wiped away allows us to make meaning of our losses and to make meaning of our lives. From the writings of St. Augustine, Peter Wehner shared, we shall see in the bodies of martyrs the traces of the wounds they bore for Christ's name because it will not be a deformity but a dignity in them and a certain kind of beauty will shine in them. I'm reminded that sometimes we think of our scars as badges of honor, and I think there is a certain kind of beauty in them. And if there is beauty in our scars, then surely there is beauty in Jesus' scars. I think Thomas and the other disciples saw that beauty so, letting Je so Jesus letting them see his scars was a great help to them, and our awareness of them remains a great help to us today. Let me share one other note from the New York Times piece. 
Peter Weiner references the artist Makoto Fujimuri, Fuji, Fujimura. First service, I botched his first name. Now this service, I'm botching his second. So Japanese friends, please forgive me. Makoto Fujimura, who's the author of a recent book called Art and Faith, A Theology of Making, which is about the ancient Japanese tradition of kintsugi. Kintsugi is that ancient art of repairing broken pottery pieces with lacquer that's dusted with gold. What emerges is a uniquely restored piece that makes the broken parts even more visually sophisticated, according to Mr. Fujimura. The idea is that in embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create a more beautiful and more valuable piece of art. Applying that concept to theology, Mr. Fujimura makes this point that God's grace shines through our brokenness as in the gold that fills fissures in Kintsugi. Jesus came not to fix us, according to Mr. Fujimura, and not just to restore us, but to make us something entirely new. He will take our brokenness and somehow make it a necessary component of the new world to come. In that book, Art and Faith, he writes, none of this means that people, if they had a choice, would endure the blast furnace of pain and loss, of trauma and shattered lives. It means only that even out of ashes, beauty can emerge. Finally, I want to share a thought on the subject by someone you all know or at least know of, Bishop Hisu Jung of the Wisconsin Conference of the United Methodist Church. About a year ago, in a Zoom meeting with clergy uh, that he called to discuss changes in ministry that we all were going to be beginning to face as the pandemic was uh, just starting, Bishop Jung said that because Jesus was raised with his scars and wounds, we have assurance that God understands our scars and wounds and that he will use them for good. Bishop Jung went on to encourage us to let God see those scars and wounds, perhaps as Jesus let the disciples see his, and to be transformed. For, said Bishop Jung, and I quote, the transformation of Thomas is all in the scars, his own and those that Jesus bore. God does God's best stuff, Bishop Jung said, when we are in a weak or fragile place. I love the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples and to Thomas to show them his scars because it assures me that when any of us are hurting, when any of us have our confidence shaken or perhaps question or doubt our faith, Jesus will come to us wherever we are and give us what we need for faith. He'll reveal to us how we are meant to complete what he began and will give us hope for the new life that he's giving us. The story also reminds me that we are not meant to go off and lick our wounds somewhere alone. We're meant to be in community with fellow believers. 
We don't know why Thomas wasn't with the disciples on the night of the resurrection, but it was sometime after he returned to them that Jesus came back, and together they received their Lord and their God. So in the future, when you hear the story of Jesus appearing to Thomas, I hope that instead of just thinking of him as doubting Thomas, that you will think about if there's some other adjective you could put in front of his name, perhaps joyful Thomas, or faithful Thomas, or affirming Thomas. For too long, I'm afraid he's gotten gotten something of a bad rap. But as someone said in the Wednesday night lectionary study group this past week, to focus on doubting Thomas seems a natural human reaction to something inconceivable. That's a good point. But really, friends, he was only asking for the same proof the others had had, starting with Mary Magdalene. And when he got that proof, his doubts were gone. And he became the first to affirm both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus when he proclaimed, my Lord and my God, truly he believed. Let us pray. We are so grateful, Lord, that you meet us where we are and give us what we need to grow in faith. We especially thank you for our brothers and sisters in faith who encourage us in life's most difficult times. Be with us today as we continue to emerge from our isolation, whether physical or spiritual, and keep us from being so preoccupied with the bad news of this time that we neglect to see and to appreciate all the good that exists in the world. By your Holy Spirit, tell us what tasks you have for us to do, and we will serve you, our resurrected Lord, forever and ever. Amen. There are so many ways that we can be sent out by Jesus, as he told the disciples, he was there to send them. There are so many ways that we can participate in the life of the church, even in these pandemic times. Certainly, we don't have as many activities going on as we did before COVID-19 hit, but gradually we're coming back. And as we, even, even as uh, before we are fully back, there are things you can do. Many are bringing food and clothing to help uh, feed and clothe the hungry and uh, those who are without warm clothing. Those bins that are by the front door of our church are available to you every Monday through Friday from 9 to 4, and we thank you for those donations. There are study groups that are continuing on Wednesday evenings. Pastor Matthew, Pastor Matthew I almost said Pastor Matt, but his name's Matthew, so that's okay. It works. Pastor Matt leads a lectionary study group. Um, and you don't have to come every week to this, but it's a wonderful time just to discuss the coming week's scriptures. It helped me a great deal this past week to be part of that group, and I know Matt appreciates it every week. Come when you can to help discuss the coming week's passages and help the preacher for the week um, get, get good insights from you into those passages. On Thursday mornings, a new study group is starting around Adam Hamilton's book on Simon Peter. It's with the WOW women, and anyone 
is welcome to join that study group as well. Learn more about um, one of, another one of Jesus' disciples. And of course, uh, those of you who are involved know that there are several church meetings on Zoom this week. The mission group is meeting and uh, the ALB, uh, the board is meeting this week. So the work of the church continues and we will continue to have other ways to reach out and through our words and through our ministries, show the world that Jesus truly lives. 